0: In a way, it was like my educating my parents, like me going and just almost semi talking to myself at the dinner table about tea, was educating my parents to pique curiosity, to encourage conversations.
2: it gets lonely out there in the product business world, we fully believe a business shouldn't be built alone. There's room at the top for all of us. So let's get scrappy and creative together, Product Boss, to be profitable, make more sales, and grow your visibility. Are you ready? Let's dive in.
1: Hey friends, it's podcast recommendation time. This month, we can't seem to get enough of no straight path hosted by the incredible Ashley Menzies Babatoon Day. Now she is part of the HubSpot podcast network, just like us. And
2: we can't wait to share what we love about her episode. Ashley's podcast is so inspirational. She does an incredible job helping to shed light on the true stories behind the shiny resumes, social media highlights, and job titles of those who have acquired success. She brings on guests from all walks of life to inspire conversations around what creating success actually looks like because there is no straight path to success for anyone.
1: Of course, and we truly believe this. She really humanizes success from the millennial perspective. She recently did an episode featuring Laurel and Harig where they dove into the importance of sustainability building a business. And it was so eye-opening.
2: Yeah, I love that one. Laurelyn was sharing one of the biggest lessons she's learned as a business owner. And one of my favorite things that they talked about was how easy it is to forget that success doesn't happen overnight. Because I feel like as a lot of product bosses out there, um, they feel like it's taking a little bit too long or that they're falling behind, but they're right where they need to be when creating a successful business really does take time. So... Listen to No Straight Path wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Product Boss podcast. I'm so excited about um this episode because I get to interview one of my friends that has that I've been wo- Jacqueline and I've been working in her business for years now and she is a fellow AAPI person. Um for all of you that don't know what that is, that's Asian American Pacific Islander and It happens to be Asian Pacific, uh, Asian American AAPI month in this month of May. So I wanted to give you some really special episodes. I don't talk too much about being Asian, but I wanted to have this conversation because I feel like it's an important one of really using our platform and talking about this because there has been really a movement to, I don't know, support AAPI businesses. And however... I full full transparency. I've struggled a little bit about how to do that, you know, and what to say and what I should be doing on this platform. And so I brought I'm bringing on um, Jenny Shea of um, Sipping Streams tea co-, tea co. Tea Company. She's out of Alaska. You've heard us talk about her tons. Um, she's worked with us for years now, and she also is one of our students. And so I thought, Jenny, um, that you could introduce yourself and that we could have a conversation around what that has looked like for for you and how our listeners could benefit from that.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting that you even say it like that, because it is kind of an intercultural situation for us who are AAPI, Right. Mm -hmm. we're, we're Asian, but we're American. And, but because Mm -hmm. we're Asian, we're not supposed to make waves culturally from our cultural heritage. Right. Right. And so to even like say anything about it, it's kind of making waves really. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. so rock in the boat. Yeah. And, and, and our our heritage doesn't encourage that. We're like the peacemakers. We bring peace, we bring calm. Those are some good qualities about it. But at the same time, when you say nothing, no one knows, right? And Mm -hmm. even for me being in Alaska, I get the um, question a lot if I'm Alaska native because Mm -hmm. I don't dress like an Asian person, whatever that means, right? Like Mm -hmm. I, I grew up here in Alaska Um, I started my business in Alaska. I went to college outside of Alaska in Idaho. And I told people, because I identify myself as an American. So I'm like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. from Alaska. They're like, oh, really? Kind of look Asian. But maybe, uh, you know, Native Alaskans look Asian. Well, we kind of do. Yes, I totally understand. And I don't- Darker features. Yep, darker features, um, you know, certain type of straight facial structures. And it just really depends, right? Because Asia's huge. Asia's- even like from India. And then there's different regions, even for people who are from Japan that don't look quote unquote Japanese, like the Hollywoodization of Mm -hmm. that. So being um, an Asian business owner, growing up in Alaska, in, in America, I grew up in America since I was a month and a half, but having very strong cultural like, these non-direct communication ways of being has been very interesting because that is actually kind of a little bit of my origin story of how I even got into the tea business. So one of the very first questions that I had when I started drinking tea, okay, I've been drinking coffee since I was four. Like I identify myself as a coffee drinker. Like I like black coffee, but But being a tea business owner, I don't drink coffee as much. I I rarely drink coffee. I appreciate tea. But it had to do with, it was literally the cheapest thing on the coffee shop menu when I was in college. And so people would ask me questions like, are you drinking tea because you're Chinese? And I'm like, what? (laughs) What does that even mean? (laughs) Like, have you seen me drink Tea in the last four years, I mean, we know each other. When's the, like, and so it it might be like a curiosity for for our friends who are more, you know, whites or black or brown or you know, just not Asian. But really
2: quick, else. is Alaska mostly Caucasian or what is, or is it mostly Native Alaskans? Like, what is, you know, in Iowa, it's two percent minority here. So I am surrounded by a lot of Caucasians. Um, it's getting better, more diverse, I would say. But I want to know what the makeup of Alaska is.
0: So Alaska is mostly Caucasian. Oh, it and is. Then, okay. Yeah, I, that's then, what I
2: thought, but just want to make sure.
0: And then the history of Alaska is a lot of military. So we mm. get like so I grew up in schools that were close to like the the military base or whatever. So okay. I would see, you know, like brown people. I had some native students in my classes but, um, you know, there isn't a large native population, um, that I grew up with. It's very common for me to do businesses with like, you know, other friends who are, are native indigenous people here. Um, and I just, but I felt like there's probably maybe a little bit more of them than me still. Like the Asian population is very small. Like, Mm-hmm. What kind of Asian person wants to go freeze their butts off in Alaska? Like, <laughs> Very few. Very, Very
1: few. few.
0: When you're from like a warm place, you know? Yeah. So, and my family's from Hong Kong. So it's uh-huh. like the Tropic of Cancer goes through there. When, mm-hmm. They've never seen snow. We saw snow when we landed here in December of 82. Like, that's the first yeah. time so
2: my mom okay. ever saw snow. So you got to Alaska in 82. So um, did you grow up? So I think that we're considered peacemakers or Asians are more pacifist in a lot of ways because we assimilate very well. Uh, We are just taught to blend right in to whatever your surrounding is and never, you know, cause any kind of ruckus for attention. Don't have a voice in it, you know? And so we assimilate very well um, because the culture forces us to, in a lot of ways, we're kind of like... Bred to be that way, and we're wired so much to be that way. So when you came in eighty two, did you grow up with because a tea company and you you have a cafe, you teach about tea ceremonies, you have you know like you said you started drinking tea a lot more primarily tea. Um, but did you grow up with tea ceremonies? How did you grow up? Like, did you grow up in like behind closed doors? That's That was for me. I, I grew up with behind closed doors. We are very much tight on, but outside the doors, you blend in, you know?
0: Yeah, so like my grandparents, like we were the weird Chinese neighbors. Like all my neighbors <laughs> were white. So, oh no, no, there was a brown family across the street. And I, I got along with them really well too. Um, I really liked playing with them. and um, But the majority of our neighbors were white. And they'd be like, oh, they're, they're speaking in Chinese. So I get teased all the time on the bus because my mom's talking to me in, in Cantonese. We're And so we're Cantonese too, which makes it worse because we're not from mainland China. So we don't speak the main dialect of all the other Chinese people who are mostly Taiwanese in the 80s because they came here as like researchers with the university. So my parents are chefs. So it's like lower status. So we definitely don't want to make waves or rock the boat. It's just the lower class status, which class back then was like really important. It still might be. I'm not really sure. But for me, it. it, I just don't look at it like that. Culturally,
2: it is. I mean, it has always, you know.
0: And um, so I was like at the restaurant with my parents. And my mom didn't need to speak English because they're all speaking in Chinese or Cantonese or whatever. Um, I didn't learn English until I went to public school. When I was about four and a half, five, and I'd have to be pulled out, even though I grew up in Alaska, kind of that closed door thing. Like, And I think um, like Hispanic people could identify with that, too. You speak your home language in your house. And if yeah. you don't need to speak English, you don't speak English. So my mom could go to work very easily because they all spoke her language. She didn't have to struggle with that. Um, my dad had been living in um Alaska for a long time already. So like he would mostly do like the grocery shopping and stuff like that. My mom, I don't think she got driver's license until we were in public school. My dad said that was a struggle. Like, like if she could, she would have just stayed home or anywhere where it wasn't like a struggle. <laughs> but, um, Yeah. So I'd have like the neighbors, they would tease me because I would speak Chinese to my parents. But then like outside, like when I played at the neighbor's house, we just played with whatever toys they had, like the Barbie or Legos or whatever. And then at home, we ate a bunch of Asian food. But then at the babysitter's across the street, we would have like mashed potatoes and green beans out of a can, which I thought was so strange. But, you know, it was two different lives. And then it was very hard growing up that way because at the babysitter's, or the the daycare across the street, um, there's, like, Western rules of how you eat. Even how you Mm -hmm. eat. Like, you don't talk with your mouth full. Well, in Chinese culture, you want to be loud. You want to talk with your mouth full. You're enjoying your time. And so at home, I'd say, Dad, you're not supposed to eat, uh, talk, and eat at the same time. Like, you have food in your mouth. You know, you're Mm -hmm. not supposed to do that because that's what I learned at daycare. And Mm -hmm. he's like, and he'd get so mad because, like, He's like a head chef and he's like, This is how Chinese people eat. And Mm -hmm. I was like, They slurp their soup. Yeah. You're you're loud. You enjoy it. It's fun. It means you're having a good time. So I was kind of like putting a damper on my home life by trying to identify like what the rules were socially because I lived in like these two different worlds of like outside the home and then inside the home. Even Mm -hmm. how I peeled my banana. um, My mom peels the banana with like the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone does it the other way in school. And so the kids at school would be like, what in the world are you doing? That's not how you peel banana. And I was like, oh, um, okay. So then I just wanted to like, I just wanted to fit in, you know? Yeah. So it's very interesting growing up. And then the whole Chinese tea thing, I didn't grow up drinking tea, um, because it was something I didn't realize until I was starting to learn about tea in college that, My grandfather did the Chinese tea ceremony every morning and he did the weird Chinese exercise thing in front of the TV in the living room. Turned out to be Tai Chi. He did this weird thing with all these cups and like tiny little pot. Turned out to be the Chinese tea ceremony, but they would never tell us what they were doing because you're supposed to be quiet. You observe, you don't ask questions. If you need to know anything, an adult will tell you. Otherwise it's a need to know basis. So socializing was a very different the divide between younger generation and older generation. Mm -hmm. And so it was very strange. But then how I got into tea was all these questions that people asked me, like, I'm thinking to myself, is tea Chinese? What does that even mean? Like, because I don't know anything about tea. I'm just a complete newbie. And so the journey of starting my business was a way for me to culturally understand who I am and where I came from. So... Actually, that's kind of how I moved into my business was for healing,
2: culturally healing myself. Jacqueline, isn't it crazy how much pressure product bosses are under when trying to increase their sales? Oh my goodness.
1: 100%. That's why it's so important to get as many eyes as possible on your business. But the most important part is to continue to nurture and retain your customers.
2: I agree, but in order to spend the time nurturing and retaining customers, you have to stop wasting time on those tedious manual tasks, such as marketing and creating emails or landing pages. This is exactly why HubSpot CRM helps set up marketing
1: automation so that you can nurture your customers while saving time. They also have an AI-powered tool and AI-powered tools like Content Assistant that helps you stay in your zone of genius so you can focus on the most important things your customers. They also make it super easy to drag and drop attention grabbing
2: emails and landing pages. Wow, that sounds incredible. I can't believe how easy it is to use and how much time it saves. I know, right? But the best thing about
1: it is that it adapts to the way you do business and it grows with you, which is really important. It's never been easier to save time on those tedious tasks so that you can continue to focus on what matters
2: most, your customers. Get started for free at HubSpot.com.
1: Hey, Product Boss. Okay, this is for you. The other day we got a message from Lolly asking us if we had a referral for a great inventory management software to help track raw goods and on-hand products that were ready to sell. And you know what we told Lolly? We sure do. Not only do we have a resource for inventory management software, but we have over 308 other business tools and resources that will help you effectively run your product-based business. Now this ranges from packaging and printing supplies, affiliate management, website and email software, legal resources, video and photo tools, and so much more. You will have everything you need to grow your dream product business today and at no cost to you. Yep, this is totally free. And you can download the Product Boss Ultimate Resource Guide right now by heading to slash resource guide. Again, that's slash resource guide. Now, back to the show. Hi, my name is Marie, and I own Marie Alexander Studio. I am based in Canada, and I started MSM in February. I have a big launch coming up soon, and for the first time ever in my business in the four years that I've been doing it, I feel prepared. I feel like all of the things that I've heard about or wanted to know about are covered in MSM in a clear and concise way. These ladies speak my language, and finally, I feel like I've found the people that I needed to find. If you're considering MSM, I highly recommend it. Even if you don't get the results like immediately as we hear about those people, it's still going to have a return eventually,
2: and it's just so worth it, like 100%. Yeah, it is so true because, you know, as you start to, and I think that's for all of us, we're starting our businesses and a lot of it becomes a product of our own, um, you know, like, let's say for me, it was like I was solving my own problems. I needed to send my kids off to daycare and have my things labeled. I think a lot of us start products because we have a problem or we're searching for an identity that, you know, somehow it comes out into into our product and with some way, shape or form. And I love that you said that, you know, yours was a way of healing and for the tea and everything, like now that you're, now that you're, you have an established business, you have, like I said, a cafe, you manufacture your own tea, you're, you're global. You also were on PBS. I showed my kids too, and they absolutely loved it, um, for having the, the only greenhouse in Alaska, right. Geothermal, um, Tea um, farm. Yeah, tea yeah farm. It's a yeah. tea
0: farm, but it's in a greenhouse mm-hmm. and it's the only right. geothermal-powered tea farm in the world, like the first ever of its kind, because we can't really grow tea naturally here. Like in mean, the winter time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, one of the things that we talked about today in Bosses in the Blend that Jacqueline and I talked about today was really, you know, sometimes family members don't quite understand why we are going into business. So I'm curious, as having grown up, very Chinese in a lot of ways behind closed doors, but outside the doors, you know, similar to me, Tidam and, you know, outside it was very much assimilate as much as possible. Like, how do you, how, how is it now? How's the family dynamic in that? Do they love that you've kind of brought your culture to the forefront that you have more of vo- a voice in, you know, Chinese teas and business and, you know, um, because you, you were, you used to be a school teacher, right? Yeah. I was a high school teacher. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. They wanted so, me to not be an entrepreneur. Very much
2: so. <laughs> <laughs> oh but they were entrepreneurs, right?
0: Yeah. Um, well they were until they lost their business. Okay. So my dad had a bad business partner who embezzled all the tax money. So my dad oh my had gosh. this multi-million-dollar restaurant, right? He's got a whole team of employees. Like he's very successful at the time. And people would want to eat at our house, which I thought was very strange because before we were eating at like professors houses, like, you know, people who are trying to be nice to my parents because we're Chinese or Taiwanese, you know, however you want to say it. Um, and. But then people wanted to start hanging out with my parents because they were very affluent with this very successful Chinese restaurant. And then one day, my dad gets this letter from the IRS that none of his taxes have been paid. And he was like, what? So his business partner was the one who handled all the finances. My dad was Mm. focused on just running this business, making it quote unquote profitable, you know, like how he saw profit come in. Like you see the cash come in, you know, the money come mm-hmm. in. And I remember because like, I worked as like, well, a kid, I just, you know, I was in the bar area. I folded the napkins. I do the nice fan place settings with the cloth napkin and they'd say another tables up. And my sister and I'd run out there and bust the tables and then like make it super fancy. Um, but yeah. So when my, my parents lost the restaurant, um, we were instantly, you know, on food stamps, like on free lunch, all that stuff. Um, and my grandma about the same time had um, cancer and she, mm. uh, you know, eventually died shortly after that. Not, not from the business part, but just happened to be. And my brother who's autistic, we're starting to discover that he was not a normal kid, that he was special needs. So there was all sorts of turmoil happening at the same time. And so growing up, my dad always said, don't ever own a business ever. And if you ever do, don't ever have a partner
2: ever mm. like, because that's <laughs> what he went through. This sounds exactly like, how <laughs> Asian parents speak. Like <laughs> okay. so stern, there's like, you know. It like burns never. into
0: your soul. You're never gonna <laughs> forget it ever. So, so then I was like, okay. And they're like, pick something stable be a doctor. And I'm very gifted in science, right? So I, I wanted to go into like medicine of some sort. So I studied sports medicine. So athletic training and physical education teaching at the same time. So I worked in a physical therapy clinic and then I was a high school teacher and my parents were fine with that, but it wasn't okay the day. And I, I'm the oldest, so it's even worse, like the oldest bears the grunt of all the sins mm. of the family. I'm married to the <laughs> oldest
2: and I'm the second <laughs> yeah. oldest, but not too far.
0: <laughs> so, but I was also the black sheep. Like I could, I was very rebellious. I mean, I was very rebellious for an Asian kid. Okay. Like I didn't do anything like really terrible. I was never in jail. Like I didn't do You ask questions. But, yeah. That I would be very questions. rebellious. Yes. Asian yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. I talk back or I speak my opinion. Oh, just like one time. And then, like, no one's talking to you at the dinner table. Kind of thing. <laughs> and they just a shame on you, like, the family. But, um, so, I was already kind of the black sheep of the family. They'd always compare me to my younger sister, who is the second. So, um, they're like, why can't you be like your sister? She's quiet. She gets A pluses. She's so talented. Like, everything she does, she's just so Asian. Why can't you be Asian? That's what they would tell me. <laughs> and... And so, um, anyways, I, so when I started the business and I told my mom, because my mom and I were closer and my dad, he's like the head, you know, and he's the one who had to deal with the whole issue with losing the business. So my mom came up to me one day and she said, you can never ask your dad for advice. Don't ask any of us for anything, but don't ever talk to him about the business. Nothing. Just don't even talk. And I was like, what? Like it doesn't exist. And she's like, "Yes."
2: I was like, okay. So I just called it sweep it under the rug method. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I'm like, I don't how, I don't know how you like, not like allow a business look like it doesn't exist because like, I have to make money and I have to tell people about it, but I understand. I just won't talk to you about it.
2: Yeah. It was probably like a very triggering subject for him. Right. I would imagine.
0: And it was just a way for my mom to protect the family. From like not rocking the boat, not, Mm -hmm. you know, having these discussions during dinner time. Like just, we just don't go there. Just like we don't go there about the past, about my parents' upbringing too. Because it was really hard. Just like I couldn't ask questions about my parents, my grandparents. So my father's parents. Also, that's probably why we couldn't talk to them about anything because they had a hard upbringing. They fled China during the Japanese invasion. So there was Mm -hmm. like a lot of unknowns. And so what I would do instead was I would just talk about tea facts and what I learned. <laughs> like, I uh-huh. wouldn't talk about business. I'm like, hmm, this is an interesting green tea and I'd be having it at dinner and just almost like semi-talk to myself uh-huh. because I couldn't just like not talk about anything. So in a way, it was like my educating my parents, like me going and just almost semi- Talking to myself at the dinner table about tea was educating my parents to pique curiosity, to encourage conversations. And that's essentially how it started. And now my parents are completely supportive. My mom is at the tea house right now making hundreds of steam buns. Like, I need her to make 500 steam buns <laughs> for us, like steam dumplings. And these are things that I grew up making. These are things that we grew up making and selling them at the farmer's market as a side hustle. So I incorporate a lot of the things that I grew up doing with my parents when they're entrepreneurs. um, And, and I'm very proud of those things. Now, you know, they want to give me their criticisms because they're Asian parents and that like my buns aren't wrapped perfectly or they're not smooth or they're not white enough. And I'm like, okay, these are homemade from scratch and I'm not a perfectionist if you can't tell. Like I'm the one who makes waves, asks questions, like whatever, that's good enough for me. Um, But I do have a lot of respect for my parents. So I don't mean to like talk about them badly or anything like that. So much so that I would rather keep um, a safe relationship with my parents. Like I value them so much and I appreciate how much... They raised me and made me into who I am. But my voice of assimilating, becoming American, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a blend of the two. And I think that's really powerful, especially for AAPI month. is that there can be a blend of the two and a healing of the two. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes years until your parents come around and they saw me starting to win awards. They started seeing me in magazines. They started... You know, seeing people actually give me money. Like my dad would never believe that people would want to pay me for anything because he thinks it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he's not educated in seeing and observing me and how I do my business. So now he's like super proud. I have to be careful when I take him to business meetings or business like conferences or where I'm speaking, I'm like, dad, you're not allowed to say anything. Don't talk to anybody in this room. We're all tea business professionals. You cannot pitch. There's not a place to be selling my teas.
2: You just, I'll
0: let you know when you can talk to people.
2: Oh gosh, I love that so much. You know, so you really, you know, you developed a business in the way that you wanted to, you know, even beyond what your parents wanted for you to. I think that we sometimes get caught up in that of, we grew up a certain way, but we get to choose what we're going to do. And I think that's for any product business owner. And I love that your parents have even come around because those are, I mean, typically maybe the last people, um, whereas, you know, it comes after the rest of the world sometimes. Um But, um, I want to wrap up with, you know, what you would give advice to for somebody who might not, you know, even if they're not Asian American, like us, um, Asian American Pacific Islander like us, what would you give to somebody who wants more of a voice in that that didn't grow up feeling like they should have a voice or kind of wired, you know, whether it be culturally or just wired in that way, um, to not have the voice that you developed and you did it through healing and coming back to your identity, but you really took it a step further and created it one of your own, right? Um, so what kind of advice would you give for somebody who kind of is in that situation and looking to um start their own business?
0: So one of the biggest things that you have to realize is we cannot change people. We cannot change people and how they see us. Um, I just I mean, it really still hurts me to think about all the times that I was teens growing up. I mean, I was just a little kid, but like kids making fun of me because I was Chinese and I'm short. I'm only four or nine. I'm still short. So, you know, and how people still see me today. So I just realize that, you know, I'm not here to change people's minds. I'm here to show love and respect. And sometimes I have to show respect regardless of someone respecting me. And maybe it's kind of like an asian way of like not rocking the boat but when you can rise above and grasp onto who you are at the time of who you are without anger right without frustration but letting go my mom sings like that frozen song all the time <laughs> like let it go like when she gets stressed out she just starts singing that line from frozen and um and we have to be okay with being us because if we don't realize that not everyone is going to accept us for who we are we're focused on the wrong thing so mm-hmm. when we focus on the good that there is the good that we see the the progress that we're making the good about ourselves and what we feel comfortable with we can now see you know it's like how you're focusing on things that there's more connections with that And you lean into what is going well. And that's how you can grow, develop, and become successful.
2: I love that. Thank you so much, Jenny. You are such a, just a wealth of knowledge. I love how you always are learning and sharing and giving back to all of us. Um, Let us know where we can support you, where we can follow you, buy from you, all the things.
0: Yeah, if you want to check out my website, sippingstreams.com. That is essentially my home base. It's our website, you can buy there online. Um, You can find out about our tea classes there. There's links to our YouTube channel with over 450 videos on tea education. A link to our tea podcast is on there too. So I would say start by going to sippingstreams.com and check out all the amazing free resources we have there.
2: All right. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks everybody. Happy AAPI month. And I hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you next time.
1: Thank you for being here and listening all the way through the Product Boss podcast. If you love our show and it has helped you in any way in your business, would you mind doing two things for us? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review.